Good evening. Uh, my name is Jason, and I work here. Hey. Um, hey, tonight, um, I, I want to uh, just take a minute and pray um, with you all before the night begins, I, uh, or before the sermon begins. Um, beforehand, a group of us um, at around 7, 10, what, what's the time we're supposed to get here to pray? 7.15, at 7.15, uh, a bunch of us gather here to pray for the night, and one of the things um, that uh, Andrew mentioned, uh, he plays drums for us often, uh, he's more than a drummer, but whatever, um, uh, he just mentioned um, just sort of feeling off today, and it seemed echoed, uh, and, and as we were talking and praying, I just, um, I guess I was just mindful of the fact that, that uh, reading the scriptures and preaching a sermon, singing praise songs, all this stuff doesn't happen uh, to a neutral atmosphere, to a neutral crowd, that we are fighting um, spiritual battles all the time, whether we realize it or not. Um, and I'd love for, for you um, to pray with me. I'd love to pray for you um, that God would be good at, um, at fighting battles for us even this evening, all right? So let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers at work in, in ways that often many of us are ignorant to so much inside of us and outside of us resist the good news of the gospel. Inside of many of our minds and hearts are a lot of lies that we believe. And your gospel comes against that, proclaiming truth. But even if, if we are not lying to ourselves, the world is not silent. And even more than that, God, I know that there are times that you speak to us, say things to us, show us things, and our, our eyes are blind and our ears are stopped and we don't see or hear. As I talk about your word tonight, Father, would you be good to open up hearts and minds and eyes and ears? May your word find good soil to sink into our, our lives. May we see what your son was talking about and long for your kingdom and believe the goodness of the king. May we find an ever-present help in our time of need. Please, please, please. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, uh, hey, um, I don't know if we actually record this or if we can put it online or whatever, but the worship song, like we just sang, they actually added something else onto the end. I don't know why, but we actually sang a worship song tonight that our worship leaders wrote, which is pretty stinking cool. Uh, so I don't know if y'all can, if Stephen and Brianna, if you guys can like record it and put it online or something, that'd be cool to see it. Or we can just sing it again and something. Uh, anyway, okay. Um, that's just really cool. I think that's fantastic, y'all. So I don't know if you know this, but one of the commands in the scripture is that we're supposed to sing spiritual songs to one another and sing hymns to each other. And, and we got to do that tonight. That's pretty cool, right? So anyway. Um, all right, so uh, we're, we're walking through this semester, this, this passage of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And one of the things that, that I've been saying is that Jesus is trying to give us a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like because he's been walking around doing these miracles and, and, and he's pr proclaiming the kingdom. But these crowds keep gathering near him and he comes up onto the side of this mountain and he opens his mouth and begins to tell them about what this kingdom looks like. And when he begins to tell them what the kingdom looks like, he starts with a bit of a sort of an introduction where he says, first of all, the kingdom is one full of blessing and it's gonna surprise you who's blessed in my kingdom. And the people who are blessed in my kingdom, these people will be lights 
to the world that bring glory to God. And he says, and just so you know, I have come to fulfill the law, not abolish it. And, and as he is, after he delivers that intro, we sort of find ourselves with the meat of his sermon, right in the middle of chapter five, all the way through um, what Kirsten preached on last week, chapter seven, verse 11. And that's sort of the big meat of this sermon where Jesus is talking about what the law and the prophets look like. He has come to fulfill them. And part of what the kingdom of God looks like is, is, a, is a people and a place where the kingdom, where the law and the prophets are fulfilled. And, and largely what we've been talking about is that, and I wanna just kind of take a quick sweep through it. Daniel, if you throw up that slide, um, this is the kind of stuff, I don't know if you got to it or not, if not, here we go, cool. Um, I don't know if you all can read it, it's pretty small, but I, I can, so I'll read it to you. Um, I would have even if you could read it. Uh, anyway, so, so we walked through this kind of stuff. This is what Jesus says. What's the kingdom of God like? What does the law fulfilled look like in my kingdom? It looks like people who do not harbor anger and reconcile quickly. It looks like people who do not lust. People who mean what they say. People who love their enemies. Who live for God's affection and notice only. Not everybody else's. Who give away more than they acquire. Who live with relentless trust instead of anxiety about food and clothing in the next day who seek before anything else God's righteousness and his kingdom, who are humble and generous in their judgment of others, who take all of their desires to God. This is what the fullness of the law and the prophets look like as Jesus is expounding on what does his kingdom look like and what does it, come, what does it mean when the law is fulfilled? It looks like these kinds of things. This is what the kingdom of God begins to look like as Jesus has given us this picture of it, right? This is what it looks like. And in the kingdom of, of God, the law, or this way of life for the people of God, that's really what the law often means, right? Just the way of life for the people of God. This is what it looks like when it's lived out in its fullest sense. It's a lot of stuff. And that's not all of it. He says more than that. But, but by the grace of God, here in, in chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus takes the scope of all of this and he, he zooms, it zooms way in, or maybe I should say zooms way out and he summarizes it for us. He says, in other words, everything that I've been saying, we you put up the next slide, can be summarized in one simple statement. Do to others what you want them to do for you. Everything I've been saying about what the kingdom of God looks like with the law fulfilled in it, with the way of life, that I want for my people being full. It, it, this is what it is. Do to others what you want them to do for you. Look at that for just a second. What would you expect Jesus to say? Just moments before that comes out of his mouth. If he says, let me summarize all this for you. Is that what you'd expect him to say? All of what I told you, Jesus says, everything I've just told you about the law, you would already know and you would live out if you simply did to others what you would want them to do for you. Think about the implications of this, okay? First, I think it highlights for us, and this I really think is gonna surprise many of us, that God doesn't have this secret to-do list or, or, or do or don't do list. This book of law hidden in the heavens that has all of the minutia in, in the details of what you should and should not do all along. He's been giving us laws which point to a particular way of life and giving us examples or maybe boundaries of what it looks like. Don't murder. 
Well, I wouldn't want somebody to murder me, right? Don't covet your neighbor or your neighbor's stuff. Well, I don't want somebody looking at me or my stuff and wanting me inappropriately or my stuff inappropriately. I don't want that. Don't steal. I, I, I don't want you guys stealing from me. I wouldn't want you to steal from me. Furthermore, if I look at what Jesus had been doing in the Sermon on the Mount, not only would I not want you to murder me, I also wouldn't want you, even if I wronged you, I wouldn't want you to harbor a bunch of ill will toward me, to be in your room just meditating on your anger toward me. I would not want that from you toward me. I would want people in my life to mean what they say. Your yes be yes, your no be no. If it's even possible, I would even want my enemies to love me. That's ridiculous. That's, I would, there's none of us who think that's actually possible. That's why we don't actually say that. But, but if it were, would I want people that are my enemies to still love me? Yes. All of this can be summarized, Jesus says. All of it. With do to others what you would have them do to you. And this to me is a simulta- his summary is simultaneously surprising and a little, and obvious, and it's kind of both mixed in my mind, right? It's surprising because in in some sense, everybody already knows this. Some of you might know this from some classes or whatever, but like this summary of the law, this do to others what you want them to do for you is all over the world in one way, shape, or form. Confucianism, uh, ancient Greek literature, Zoroastrianism, Buddhism, Jews had talked about this before, just a hundred years before Christ, there was a really famous rabbi who had something similar, and in one way, shape, or form, this idea, all over the world, this idea, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you, or do to others what you want them to do to you. And when Jesus sums up the law, when he says, I'm going to sum up the law or the prophets, there's a part of me that expects him to sort of roll up his sleeves and go, here's what you've all been waiting for. Here's my summary that you've all missed, you've all been hoping for. I'm gonna pull back the curtain of heaven and I'm gonna give you the answer that none of you have ever guessed. Here it is. And he says what we already know. Do to others what you would want them to do for you. And this this is the truth, that the law is plain to see for all of us. The law is not a mystery. It's never called a mystery in the scriptures ever. It's not something for us to guess or not know. The basic truth of the law is written on our hearts so much that even those who are not in Christ and have never heard of him come to the same conclusions quite often throughout history, all over the world. We should do to other people what we'd want them to do to us, all right? It's kind of surprising to me in some sense because I think I was expecting him to say something crazy, different. And at the same time, it's so obvious, right? I mean, of course, this is the summary of the law. That's why we keep coming up with it all over the place, all the time. There, There are, though, however, I think, taking Jesus literally like word for word in this context, there are a couple of, I think, misconceptions or misapplications that we often fall into when we take him at his word. Would you put up just the verse, Daniel, if you have it from Matthew 7, 12 for a minute? Okay, so in everything due to others, which you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. A couple misconceptions or misperceptions, okay? This does not mean that everything that I want in particular, or every particular thing that I want, is what everyone else wants, right? 
This doesn't mean, well, Jason, or, well, uh, to me, you like cookies and cream, bluebell ice cream, praise the Lord that that's back on the shelves. Uh, you like that. So when you're trying to love other people, get them that. Right? Like my wife really likes vanilla bean. She loves vanilla bean. And, and so if I, I, I don't go, well, Jesus said, do to you what I want you to do to me. I want you to get me cookies and cream, so I'm going to get you cookies and cream. Well, that, that wouldn't work both ways. That couldn't possibly work both ways. I like time alone when I'm having a bad day. And so it doesn't mean that because I like time alone when I'm having a bad day and I don't really want to talk about it. I just want to like get over my ish and fix it and then move on. Like I don't really want to have a big conversation about it. That doesn't mean that when I run into you, what I should do is just leave you alone because I want to be left alone. That's not exactly what it means. No. This command of Jesus summons me to consider you. Consider what you like, who you are. To put myself in your shoes and love you. That's what I would want you to do for me. I should buy my wife vanilla bean ice cream and she should buy me cookies and cream. If we're following this law. If we're following this law, she might, if she says on a, on a day, I'm having a rough day, if she says, Lord, what am I supposed to do with Jason? And he says, well, this is sort of what the fulfillment of the law looks like. This is what people of my kingdom do, Anna. Do to him what you would want him to do for you. And so she would go, well, what would I want him to do for me? I'd want him to consider me and so I'm going to consider him and he probably would like some time alone and I'm going to leave him alone. And I would do the reverse, right? If I were considering her, I might move toward her. Even though I naturally like time alone, I might move toward her and spend time with her and just say, I'm here for you. I mean, let me make this more clear with something that many, some of you might know. Um, have any of you guys ever heard of or, or, or studied or something Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages? Okay, this is maybe my favorite way of expressing this. Would you put up the list of the five love languages real quick? This is a really famous book. This guy sort of makes this argument that everybody uh, is, is a huge brushstrokes, okay? But he covers most people in, in his book. And he sort of argues that everybody has these sort of preferences, these like top two preferences mostly for the way you give and receive love, okay? So for me, I'm outing myself here. Physical touch, words of affirmation, that's why they're one and two. Those are at the top. Um, th these are the ways that I naturally give and receive love. My wife, definitely quality time and, I don't know, gifts. Oh, this is a real, okay, this is tough. She likes all five. Uh, <laughs> quality time is probably number one, okay, uh, which actually means quantity time and a lot of times quality is in there. That's actually what that means. Okay, so my wife really loves that. So um, this is what m I think a lot of people do with these. If you've ever studied this before, a lot of this is how it's used and sometimes in sort of counseling situations is sort of somebody, I, I sort of take this test and it says, Jason, you really give and receive love with, you know, physical touch and words of affirmation. It might be helpful for you to tell your wife, this is how I receive love, honey. This is the way that I, I know love. This is how I'm trying to love you all the time. I'm trying to tell you I love you and you want me to spend time with you and I'm gonna try to do that, but I just want you to know this is how I'm communicating, okay? I think if I were to take Jesus's summary of the law into this, this is what it would mean. It would mean that I just completely disregard any of the things that I want for just a minute. And what I think of is how does Anna like to be loved and let me love her like she likes to be loved. Who cares if I naturally do physical touch or words of affirmation? She likes, she, she understands love well with lots of time. And so what I should do if I'm, if, is I should spend time with her. 
That's what I would want her to do for me. I wouldn't want her, right? I wouldn't want her to say, well, I just love Jason with quality time, so I'm just gonna give him quality time, even though I'm like, what are we doing hanging out so much? Okay, that's, I'd like to pretend that that's throwing me under the bus a little, but it's not. I'm actually that much of a dunce. Um, but, but, but my point here is this, that like if Jesus' law, if his fulfillment of the law were to take a tool like this, it might be helpful for you to help others because I could help you love me better. I can actually help you follow Jesus better by telling you the ways in which I receive love and stuff like that. But my business, my business is not to get you to love me the way I want it. That's not my business in the kingdom of God. My business in the kingdom of God is to do to you what I would want you to do to me. And that's consider you. Consider the way you receive love and the way you want love and offer that. Do to others what you want them to do to you. And what you want them to do is not just whatever they want, but what you want. That may sound confusing, but I'm trying to zoom out a little bit because sometimes we get lost in the particulars of this. I, I, I uh, yesterday on the way home, Anna called me and she said, can you please stop by the store and pick up some kind of, I don't know the exact words. I should have listened a little more carefully. She said, can you pick up some kind of like puff pastry pizza dough thing or something like this? And so I, and some spinach. And so I grabbed the spinach uh, and I'm walking to find some kind of pizza dough thing. And I see like this two pack of pizza crusts ready to go. And I'm like, sweet, she's gonna, and I'm trying to consider her. I'm going, she's going to love that these two pizza crusts are like ready to go. And I'm going to show up at home and it's going to be quick and whatever. And I get home and she's like, well, what's this? And I go, oh no. <laughs> uh, you know, she's really hungry. And I bought what I would have wanted. That's what happened. Now look, it's not a major offense, okay? I just, I missed an opportunity to love her really well. By listening and going, what, what would Anna want? Does she even like this kind of pizza crust? Probably not. I think I like it because I don't have to do any work. That's what I like. I like, I can just, I rip it open and there's a second one that I can just put in the cabinet and use later. Like that makes so much sense to me. And we make this mistake with really, really big things though. How does your roommate want to be responded to in their heart? It may not be just like you. And you wouldn't want them to just do to you exactly with the particular things that they would want. You want them to zoom out just a little bit. Consider you. Put themselves in your shoes. Understand you and know you and move toward you in that way. Do you understand that difference? That sometimes we get a little messed up with this. I, I like um, to get up early in the morning and so should you. That's not what this says. That's not what this says. What we want is for people to know us and love us. That's what all of us want. Do that to others. There's a second sort of misconception or misapplication of this. And I think it's because the law and the prophets, would you go back or put that Matthew 7 um, uh, verse up one more time? Okay, so I don't know if you know this, but in the, in the Bible, the, the law and the prophets are summed up a couple different ways. And one of the ways they're summed up is by loving God and loving others. Or another way is loving others as, as you are, have been loved or other ways is loving others as you love yourself. There's sort of different ways it's summarized, all really alluding to the same idea. Okay, same thing. It's not necessarily a contradiction. There's just sort of a filling out of this idea. Um, but another sort of misconception in this sometimes uh, comes from the fact that, that quite frankly, um, some of us have not been loved very much 
or very well? By ourselves or by others? And because I haven't been loved much, I don't really think to give you a lot of love. Or because I am so hard on myself, I feel like it's only fair that I am also hard on you. So if I'm gonna love you like I love me, it means you're never gonna be good enough. If I love you the way I've been loved, it means I'm gonna be harsh toward you or something like this. But Jesus does say to love primarily as he's loved us. Primarily as he's loved us. And here, and I wanna nitpick a word for just a minute. Uh, So in the original language right here where it says what you would have them do, all right? Do to others what you would have them do. And the original language says, do to others what you wish they would do. Do to others what you want them to do. It's not do to others what's happened to you from other people in your lives. It's not even do to others what you do to yourself. What, what in your imagination would you long for other people to do to you? And here's something I find so fascinating in Jesus's command or his summary of all the law and the prophets. He wants to stir up our imagination as we fulfill the law. What does it look like for you to fulfill? I don't know if you've ever thought about the law this way, but one of the things that Jesus wants, I think he wants three things really specifically in this, okay? He wants to stir up our imagination and our creativity. Use your imagination. What would you want? What do you wish for? Do that. Do that thing, that thing that you wish for, that stuff that you would dream of people doing. Do you know that you can fulfill the dreams that other people have? That you can't control what other people do to you, but God's great gift in the church is that his people are set free to go fulfill that in others, to fulfill those dreams, to answer those wishes. Use your imagination. Another thing he talks about is take, take some initiative. Notice that he doesn't say, and some people do summarize things this way in history, but Jesus doesn't say, don't do what you don't want them to do. It's not as if you can just sit in your room and never bother them and you've fulfilled the law. Or you just keep your mouth shut and you've fulfilled the law. Get up. Imagine, stir up your creativity and your imagination and then go take initiative and have the courage and risk and act. And of course, the huge idea here is that you take your eyes off yourself. If you're going to fulfill the law, it's going to require your imagination. It's going to require your initiative and it's gonna require you to take your eyes off yourself. And if I'm going to look at me, it's only for one purpose. It's so that I can just try to imagine life in your shoes for a minute so I can fulfill your hopes. So I can do to you what I would want done to me. And so Jesus in this summary calls up our imagination and our initiative and asks us to take our eyes off ourselves and to look toward others. Don't wait, go. This is the summary of the law and it's full of action and imagination and consideration of others. Friends, that's beautiful. What does the kingdom of God look like if the law was full? It looks like people doing that. Imagine right now, just for real, imagine a world where that happened. Imagine this room full of people who are always, always, always doing to other people what they would want other people to do to them. 
Imagine that. Imagine that, like, how, how would I want somebody to treat me, and let me, let's go to some extremes here, if I really wronged them, if I hurt them and offended them in some way, what would I hope they would do? That's not a trick question. I know what I'd hope. They, I hope they forgive me. That's what I hope. I'd hope they wouldn't make me sort of, like, do penance for my wrong. I think, that's, I, I think it's impossible, and so I often don't even assume it'll ever happen. But if I've really hurt you and wronged you, what I expect what I expect is for at least a bunch of dirty looks and for some time, because time seems like a necessary ingredient for us to just forget the emotions of the thing and move a little past it. And what I expect is when I tell you that I'm sorry, that you're going to say, are you really in some way, shape or form? And then I'm gonna have to earn it in some way. And I expect all of these things, but what I would love, what I would love is to not feel ashamed when I look at you what I would love is to know that you forgive me and it's not because of anything I do and I don't have to earn it at all, that you'll just take me back and love me and that I won't have to like, I don't know, that our relationship won't be awkward and all that kind of stuff. I would love that. Can you imagine if we all did that to each other? If we didn't make anybody in this room pay for what we did wrong. If we were kind all the time, what I would love for you to do to me is that when I drop the ball in some area in my life that you'd pick it up. I'd love that. As small as if I, for, I, for, I forgot to do the dishes this morning because I was running late to class, that you do them for me. What if all of us were doing that for each other? I would love it if when I have tremendous needs in my life, if you would step in and help meet them. Emotional, financial, it doesn't matter what a time needs. Doesn't matter. I just need help carrying a dresser from the car into the house. That you would offer your help. Can you imagine if this room was full of people who were always doing that? It's beautiful. Jesus says, this is what my kingdom looks like as people living like this. This is what it looks like. And while I really do believe the summary of the law that Jesus gives is so beautiful and, it, and the grace that comes with it being so simple is also amazing. The problem is none of us do it. None of us live this life. And the more beautiful and the more obvious Jesus makes it, the harder it is for me to swallow that idea that I don't live up to it. I'd almost prefer for him to make it complicated because then at least I could be like, dude, who could do that? But people who've never known Jesus come up with the summary of the law. Never. And they know it. And we all know it and we don't do it. And it hurts. Not a single one of us has done it. Who among us has done it? Who among us doesn't harbor anger or doesn't covet or lust or means every word that we say or who seeks first the kingdom and doesn't have anxiety? Who instead of going and trying to get good gifts from everybody around you, asks the Father in heaven and instead just gives to everybody else all the time? Who among, I mean, who among us does these kinds of things? Who's generous and humble in their judgment who among us is in their righteous piety hides it and says, God, this is for your eyes only. I don't need anybody else to see this and give me accolades and praise. Who does this? Who, who here loves their enemies? That might be your roommates. They might be political candidates right now. Do, do you love your enemies? Y'all, none of us does this. And so the sermon, while it gives us a picture 
I said it would, I know it does. It gives us a picture of what the law looks like fulfilled. And it can tell us what the kingdom of God is full of and what it might look like. That's great, but who can be a part of it? And as Jesus summarizes the law, this way of life in his kingdom, his summary is so straightforward, so obvious, and so simple that not a single one of us has an excuse. One church father says, because of Jesus' summary of the law, no one can ever find refuge in ignorance. Think about that line. Think about that truth. None of us will be able to stand before him and say, I didn't know what you wanted. The apostle Paul says, no one is righteous, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Not a single one of us has fulfilled the law. And so if we're listening to Jesus in his sermon and we've been following him throughout, from the time he sits down on the mountainside and begins to open his mouth and teach everybody what the kingdom of God is like, if we've been following him and we come to this moment right here where he summarizes what he's been saying, if we're honest, we only have one response. Help, I can't do it. Maybe it would be better to say, Jesus, what you're saying is beautiful, but all I know is I can't do it and I haven't done it. And friends, I think this is precisely where Jesus wants us to be, precisely at this moment. To imagine on one hand the beauty that he's holding up for us and to long for that, and to also know that we cannot do it without his help. I think he wants both of those things and I think this is really hard Next week, we're going to focus, because in the verses that ensue, we're going to focus on the difficulty of following him in, in this. But tonight, I want us to focus on this. When our great king summarizes the way of life in his kingdom, our only honest response is this, that though this is a kingdom worth dying and living for, who can enter it? Jesus. Friends, the law is obvious. Everybody knows it. None can hide None can hide. Time and again, apart from the good news of Jesus, I've said this over and over again, people have summarized the law in the same way he did, time and again throughout history. None of us lives up to the law in our own lives. None of us in this room has lived up to our own standards, let alone God's. None of us. We know in our moments of honesty, this is what I mean by the law is obvious, okay? In our moments of honesty, when our idols have failed, when we're all alone and we have this brief moment of humble honesty, we know, we know. The surprise is not the law and our failure to live up to it. The surprise, the mystery it's called, this is where mystery enters in, the great mystery which crowns all of creation is the gospel gospel just means good news good news that's a surprise that we never saw coming and we can't make sense of it it doesn't make sense the gospel does not make sense don't let anybody tell you that it does it will always come at you like a surprise you can follow Jesus for 30 years 30 years and one day you're going to wake up and go dang the gospel or something like that maybe less cheesy I don't know but it will come at you like a surprise over and over again, a giant curveball that you never saw coming. It frustrates all of the effort that you put in to try to earn God's favor and prove something to him or to others. 
It makes a mockery of all of our talk about good people getting into heaven. It just, who can stand before the simple summary of the law and say, done it. For others, I've done it. No one. And we know that. The surprise is that there's a, there's a great comma in the history of the world. That's it. There's a turn that, that, it's, that shocks all of us and, and Christians call it the gospel that there at the feet of Jesus, knowing that we failed in the way of life that he longs for, there at his feet we are surprised as we fall on our knees confessing to him that we do not do as, to others as we want them to do to us. There we hear the prophetic words that he spoke at the very beginning of this sermon. There, broken and crushed in spirit at his feet, he says, well, blessed are the poor in spirit. And mourning because we've never lived up to our standards, let alone God's, he says, well, blessed are those who mourn. And lower than we've ever been there before the, before the, uh, the knees and the feet of a savior broken for us, he says, blessed are those who mourn. Hungering and thirsting for the kind of life that we can't live but sounds so beautiful if people would do it, if we would do it. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says things like, take heart, my little children, for it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the gospel, the good news, which surprises us. John would say, one of Jesus' closest friends would say, the surprise is that we love because he first loved. That's the surprise. All along we keep thinking that this whole thing is an if-then statement that we keep screwing up. If we love, then he loves. If we love, then he loves. If we love, then he loves. And so we read verses even in the Sermon on the Mount where the law is summarized. The measure of judgment that you use will be used against you. And all of us have a sober moment where we go, I know, dang. The way that you judge others will be used against you. And that, that's, that's true. That's true, but we fail and we struggle so, so much with all of these things. We know that stuff, the surprise is that God says, don't worry, I'm gonna love you first. I'm gonna love you first. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were dead, Paul says, when Christ came upon us and loved us. We were wallowing in our blood and he breathed into us and said, live. This is the imagery that we view ourselves through in Christ. And there we find the truth that we cannot love our neighbors as ourselves if we're not first satisfied. That's why you have trouble loving your roommates. That's why you have trouble loving the mess that are your parents and your siblings who are broken humans. You're not satisfied. I'm not satisfied so often and I'm trying to manipulate and move toward them, toward you to get satisfied. And Christ says, that's not how it works. I intended for you to live in such a way, not that you love out of your emptiness, but that your cup overflows. This is the imagery. I fill and it overflows into them. If I am to love you, it will not be from my emptiness. And at his feet, we see the king offering his life for ours, doing for you what you could not do for yourself. And you will not find this anywhere else, but his feet, you won't. 
You won't find it in riches, in self-protection, in worldly status, in friends groups, in friend groups, in certain gifts, in prestige, in romance, in pride. You will not find this there. You won't. And if that's true, and it is, then what great mercy and grace that Jesus pulls back the curtain on the law, fixes our eyes right on it and says, friends, this is the law and you can't do it apart from me. And if we hear him for a moment, we fall. And that is where we find, that's where we find all that we need to fulfill this very thing. And so this, this is the law, friends. Do to other, you all, the summary of the whole law, everything God has asked of us, Jesus, from the mouth of the great high king, by whom, for whom, and through whom everything was made, the very one that upholds the universe by the word of his power right now, that one. He said, oh, summary, in case you're confused, do to others what you would want them to do to you. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, may you realize that you need help when he says that. And may you find it in him. And for those of you that do know him, may you know what kind of life that he's actually freed you to live. He did not come to abolish that law. He came to fulfill it. He came to set you free in order that you might live this way. A life where you can creatively and with the utmost initiative, take your eyes off yourself because he has utterly fixed his attention on you and satisfied that and do to others what you would want them to do for you. This is the summary of the law and the prophets. But although it's the summary of the law and the prophets, it's not the summary of the gospel. Because the summary of the gospel is Christ's death and life for you and his power to bring you into the kingdom on his strength. The summary of the law and the prophets is do to others what you'd want them to do for you. The gospel is Jesus Christ. After this, there'll be people back here to pray for you. And let's respond to the king who by his grace reveals to us what all of us probably already know and are just too afraid to admit because we're not sure how he's gonna respond. And maybe as we sing, I don't even know what songs we're singing. I'm just praying that we start singing truth. That God loves us. This is a whole sham that we were gonna get there on our own works. That's a weird sham that you keep believing and I keep believing. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Let's pray to him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you so much that you do not hide the law from us and leave us in ignorance. And I thank you more for the gospel. I thank you more for your son. Whom we find on our knees and there assuming the worst, I'm sure. I know what he says. I know what he says. He says that he loves us. He says that we are blessed there before him. And he tells us that the very kingdom that we want, the very life that we want and don't feel like we can live, he is good to fulfill. And he will bring us with him. May your spirit be on the loose in this room, helping people believe that truth. I pray for minds and hearts to turn toward you. And I pray for your kingdom to come and your will be done in this place, in our lives. And Lord, may you bring people to yourself through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.